I think, you know, whether you use Mixbus or not, the approach that comes from the end of the analog era is a good thing in a way. The consideration before creating a new track, the nice, gentle EQs, thinking about where you place your mics very, very carefully before you do so <laughs> or before you press record. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Today's episode of Recording Studio Rockstars is sponsored by Roswell Pro Audio, maker of handcrafted microphones in California. Inspired design and impeccable attention to detail will help you capture a gorgeous vintage sound without the vintage price tag. Check out their beautiful line of microphones at roswellproaudio.com. Sending your music to be mastered can be scary, but sending your music to a total stranger for mastering can be really scary. Chris Graham is a billboard chart-breaking mastering engineer with thousands of credits and knows how to make your record sound fantastic. But more importantly, he understands that there is one person that really knows what a great record sounds like, and that's you, rock stars. So if you're thinking about hiring professional mastering, but not sure if it's right for you, go to chrisgrammastering.com and get a free sample mastering of your song. Go find out just how great your record can sound at chrisgrammastering.com. Just click the link included in the show notes. Hey, rock stars, it's your host, Lid Sean. Welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Russell Cotier, a producer, audio blogger, and YouTube teacher from across the pond in Liverpool, UK. Russell has worked with chart-topping artists and labels such as the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, Sony, Sky TV, Nuclear Blast Records, Tomoki Wambesi, Dove, Cavern Records, Playboy Channel, and many more. And he works all across the UK and internationally and can often be found at the Grammy Award-winning Parr Street Studios in Liverpool, the renowned Catalyst Studios, or in his own private studio, where he has the luxury of a classic British analog console. Russell takes what he has learned from the studio and distills it down to audio blog articles and YouTube videos, teaching you everything from recording to editing to mixing. What you learn will work on any DAW, but Russell uses Harrison Mixbus in many of his videos, so this is especially cool if you're a Mixbus user. In fact, later in the episode, I'll include a special link for you to check out Russell's top Mixbus videos and possibly a sweet deal on Mixbus 2, so stay tuned for that. Today's episode is going to focus on a very cool topic, or perhaps I should say the very hot topic of how loud your mixes should be. I certainly find it a repeated struggle in my experience during mixing when we are surrounded by so much loud music these days, and Russell is going to help us tackle the issue of loudness and the lost art of mixing. We're going to start out with some introductions and then dive right into this ever-vexing question of loudness. Please welcome Russell Cotier to Recording Studio Rockstars. Russell, are you ready to rock, my man? Heck yeah, I am, Lidge. Uh, I've been rocking since the day I was born. <laughs> nice. Did, did you come out kicking? <laughs> I, I, well, apparently so. <laughs> I don't remember. 
<laughs> nice, dude. Um, and uh, awesome. Well, so, you know, I've sort of given a, a brief introduction, but tell us more in your own words of about, you know, who you are and how you got into all this mess. Oh, well, <laughs> that's that's a long one. Um, I'm a, a record producer and mixer. I'm, I'm based in England, uh, UK, Great Britain. Um, and I'm I'm pretty close to Liverpool. I'm nicely in Liverpool. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. But I can see. I just wanted I to say Liverpool. Liverpool. Which you know what? I, I look out of my studio at the minute, and I can see right across the River Mersey to Liverpool. Nice. So, and Liverpool's an amazing place because it's so well known for the Beatles, of course. Indeed. But there were loads of other great bands came out of there. You know, uh, oh, swinging blue jeans and uh, all sorts of things, Mersey Beats and and, and so on. So it, you know, it's got baked into it the this this kind of the history of recording, and it's as I say, it's a wonderful, fantastic place. Was o- I, was Oasis from Liverpool or were they from no, elsewhere? Do you know what? They they are about a 40 minute drive east of Liverpool. <laughs> and this is something I was going to talk about actually. Liverpool and Manchester are, are almost rivals oh, um, yeah. in, in, in the music scene. But you know, it's it, unless you're in London in the UK, then you know that's that's the the sort of where it's all happening. But yeah. they, there's there are other there are other kind of uh centres for music and you know, Edinburgh and Glasgow up in Scotland, um, Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, all fantastic places for music and all sorts of different genres going on. It's 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 a great, great time and a great place to be. Absolutely. Well, so uh, but I didn't start in and I didn't a, start in music. And uh, aside you, you on, on Liverpool, just sorry to interject, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, go go for I, it. I have a um a Hammond drum machine up oh, on top yeah. of my organ upstairs. Wow. And it's got a bunch of buttons on it and they each have different drum beats on it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to take sides here, but I will say that there is not a button called Manchester, but there is a button <laughs> called Liverpool. <laughs> All right, so well, yeah, hopefully I don't lose any listeners just based uh, on that yeah. <laughs> But go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, it might be an inspiration to some of your listeners that I didn't start in music. Uh, well, I mean, I played music and I was obsessed with recording on my mum's tape machine when I was a kid, but I actually studied to be a veterinary surgeon um, for, for a couple of years until I had a massive change of heart and uh, went off and did um, did a sound recording degree um, and, you know, thought, what am I, what am I going to do with my life? Well, why not do what I really love? Um, and yeah, <laughs> it was it was all downhill into madness from there. <laughs> from <laughs> from pets to pet sounds. Well, oh yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I, I studied, I did a degree, um, and I was fortunate enough to kind of grow up on the the very end of the analog era. So I was working on uh, an Amec Angela. Um, uh, and a Hendrix, and uh, which I, I don't know if you know Amec as a, the British brand. I used the Amec Big 24 once in a Oh, mix. right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. The big, I'm sure I've used uh, some others too. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have the, the, well, a heavily modded um, Matchless, which was their sort of almost their budget range, but it was like the top end of their budget range. Mm-hmm. So that's what's in, in all my vids, if, if anyone wants to watch those. There's a few tours of it, and it's, it's oh, incredibly ingenuitive, the, the different sort of routing and, and, and so on that these, these old desks offer. And it's just great to have this big hunk of, of steel in, in the studio, you know, kicking out a bit of heat. And, oh, yeah. Something to lean know, on. You can't lean on your keyboard that much. Well, 
Do you know what? This is actually a really part, important part of my mixing methodology, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> also, it's, it's harder to spend the night sleeping underneath your keyboard than it is underneath the console. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, fortunately, you know, I, I've got to this point now where I, I'm doing so much mixing and so on. I actually moved my studio back into my home. So it's in um, kind of an extension off the back of my house. So, uh, you know... It, a lot of your guys will be will be working from home, and yeah, I mean, I make pro records here. Um, sometimes I go out to other places, but the the luxury of having your own mix room that you can be in for as long as you like, and, definitely. You know, it doesn't it doesn't interfere with the, the kind of the family situation if if people have got kids or, or partners or whatever. So you can kind of sneak off after dinner and do an hour and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, I think my, yeah. the majority of my listeners have home studios and are probably, oh, absolutely. you know, working a, a job during the week and coming back yeah. and getting a weekend time in the studio. Yeah. And um, they, prob- they probably love it more for that. <laughs> for that. I mean, the, the issues, the issues around tracking full bands, obviously, are still there. But, you know, um, if it's a bigger project, I'll take it off to, I mean, I work out of Pearl Street quite a lot, which is... Uh, I mean, so lucky to have such a huge studio um, yeah. nearby. I mean, listeners will know Coldplay, dare I say Coldplay. Um, uh, they did parachutes. Uh, everyone from Grace Jones to uh, uh, Napalm Death and Moby has uh, done projects at <laughs> Par Street. So you know, it's, it's funny. It's, you just you said Coldplay, parachutes, Grace Jones, and then all of a sudden the memory popped into my head of the James Bond movie where Grace Jones parachutes <laughs> off of the Eiffel Tower. Isn't that right? Well, there you go. You see, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, well, that's very cool, that. man. It was one of the things you know that's a lot of fun for you is to go mm. to a bigger studio track and then bring it back yeah. to your home studio and hear what those sounds like playing back off your speakers. Oh yeah. I mean, you know. What happened when I left uni, I graduated and didn't know what to do. And so I, I, I happened to bump into um, a guy I'd done a work placement with. Um, and he said, oh, you can you can come and work at my studio if you can make a job for yourself. <laughs> Never do that, people. Never do that. <laughs> unless you don't want to get paid for about three years. But um, so I kind of came up in the studio world, working at various places, got enough um, offers at one point to actually go freelance because you know that will you produce my record emails were coming in and I really didn't know what production was at the time so I just said yeah yeah I'll do that no problem um ended up leaving and having a few spaces um one in a spot an old spark plugs factory but ultimately if you are if you have the space in your house <laughs> um it, it's really uh, a nice benefit to have your mixing gear there and you know have have your setup and then i can go out and i go to par street i go to catalyst or, or wherever you know anywhere around the country and there's always a tasty selection of mics that i could never justify buying you know just for the projects that i do um but i can go in and because they're in use every day um you know if i had a set of 547s and a load of 87s and a couple of coals and so on um, in, in a space comparable to Par Street. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't use that on my projects every day, but I can go in and get the best sound. I mean, we have a, a, a 
you know, wide selection of sounds, then I can pick different studios for different parts. Um, yeah. If I want, if I want a Neve VR60, I go into Parler Street. If I want, you know, uh, a set of Calrex, I go to Catalyst and, and just different sounds for the rooms and so on. So, and again, you know, depending on where my clients are, I'll go to different parts of the country or different countries to, to work on stuff, you know, as, yeah. and, and that, you know, it's, it's just one of those. That's how the business is these days. Well, so, uh, you know, that's very cool. And I think it's exciting for a lot of us to hear about going into great studios. Um, but it's also encouraging to be reminded of how much is possible in our own home studio. And I know that one of the things that's cool about the way you work is you've really adopted the Harrison Mixbus DAW as your work surface in the studio. Yeah. Well, work surface as your as your you know yeah, recording app workstation. Yeah, and I, that, and that's I, sort of a natural extension of the studio working on a desk uh, aspect. I wonder if you could talk about that some. Absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> I have to be careful how I phrase this. I, I always when I started in the first studio job I had. I came out of uh, of college, um, and uh, we were using uh, Cakewalk. Uh, and the first studio I went to work in as assistant engineer, we were using Sonar or Cake. I think it was Cakewalk, and then it sort of morphed into Sonar, and they re renamed it. I mean, you know, DAWs. Most of DAWs sound essentially the same, and it's just slight different workflow things. Mm -hmm. But I, I had this in my head: I need to get Pro Tools. I need to get Pro Tools. And I went through years of using Pro Tools, and, and you know, it's a great package. I don't necessarily agree with some of the marketing attitudes of that company these days. I think there's been a, a, a marked shift. And I got to the point where I just I wasn't enjoying mixing. And I was, you know, we all have to do more and more in the box. There's no getting around that because a lot of my projects are remote. So people will send me either stems or multi-tracks or I, I still do a lot of mastering because I used to do a lot of mastering in my first studio. So I kind of learned that skill there. And I just wasn't enjoying it. Now, I'd always played along, had a little bit of a, a mess around with with other DAWs, for instance, uh, Arda and Harrison Mixbus version one. But it was never... It was never stable enough on my systems for me at the time. And then mm -hmm. I kind of got version two and I had a little play with it and I'd do the odd stone of rock record with it. And, you know, it, it was great. <laughs> but just the, just those kind of more organic records. But then I, I got version three. Uh, as soon as version three came out, I knew it was time to make the leap because it was so close to being there and it was so... It was so like using my desk and the way it integrates with my desk is is phenomenal. I can I can literally drag and drop plugins, I can change, you know, pinouts. I, oh, I the the list goes on and, and to see all the all the stuff you can check out my YouTube channel, but I'll gush about it for hours if if, yeah. if nobody stops me. But it's very much like working on a console. So I'm sitting here in front of my in front of my desk, and you know I can reach for the reach for the EQs, and it felt to me more like a structured element. So I wasn't rebuilding the console every every session. It's flexible, but it has a core to it. Yeah, it has a core to it, and it just I I started enjoying mixing so much more and I work so much faster 
and it's just it's like mixing on a desk again um let me ask you this did you did you find that by mixing in Mixbus and emulating what you would do on a console that your mixes remained similarly complex or actually got simpler when you were mixing uh moving from I, I guess mixing from other DAWs, you know, and you mix on the console, yeah. but then maybe when you were no, using my, other DAWs like Pro Tools or other ones, did you find yourself trying to like overcomplicate the oh, mix yeah. and, and Mixbus helped I you bring tried, it back to simple? I tried everything. I tried all the plugins for sweetening up the sound. I, tr- I you know, the best records I did before I found Mixbus were all summed through my desk. Now, obviously, clients want to make micro changes. And so, so there's a few ways that I work. Sometimes I will mix stems or groups back into the computer. Sometimes I'll just send a vocal out and I'll ride it on a channel on the desk. And then, you know, I'll, I'll print my stems back in to the project file so they're all synchronized and then I can bounce them out. And, you know, that's one way. So you're more involved with the desk, but then you don't have recall on that. You don't have precise recall. And that's kind of annoying these days because yeah. people want so many changes. I mean, sometimes if I'm mixing on a big Neve, then I will print every channel back if there's a, a really nice um, system, you know, a, a big Mac Pro, whatever. I'll print 32 channels back, direct outs from the Neve. But you still then lack the master bus and the glue from the master bus. But with Mixbus, I just, no, I, I don't do extreme EQs. I don't notch things. And you know what? There were so many great records made without notch filters, without, yeah. <laughs> without surgical EQs. All my favorite records probably sound like that. And, and to be honest, yes, I can pull out an EQ. There's, Harrison do some really great EQs that run with Mixbus. I mean, it'll run any any plug-in format apart from the proprietary ones, but it'll, it'll run VSTs and AU and all, all that stuff, you know, all the normal stuff, yeah, um, cool. as, well as, the, as well as their own stuff, as you, as you know, because you've used it. But yeah, it just, it feels more like mixing a record. And I'm very much, I stand, like to stand up when I mix so and, and dance <laughs> because you get the fader pushes at the right times. So I'll, I'll sometimes use a control surface or sometimes I'll, I'll just dance with the mouse or sometimes I'll... I'll go out through my desk or, or I'll be mixing sections on the desk. So so Mixbus really kind of offered the flexibility for me to all the tools that I want and, and a really cracking sound. Because as I say, before that, I was trying everything. I was trying Slate, a VCC, uh, some of the Wave stuff, you know, for sort of distorting clippers various things mellow muse was was one of my favorites um cs1v and i can't remember the other the other plugin great great plugins in their own right but yeah they were cool ones they were like tom as i remember was that the one that was um oh, that would isolate your toms for yeah, you just perfectly? yeah the the actual i mean that, that those kind of those kind of saturation plugins i was using with pro tools um but then i moved to mixbus and i just I didn't feel the need to grab for those because you get this instantly. You can you can dial in as much of that as you want actually on the sort of on the buses. Right, right. But yeah, I mean Harrison, Harrison. Well, we're working on some some cool plugins at the minute, and they're, they're assisting me. Um, and they've got some great people on the team. Oh, very so cool. some really exciting exciting stuff coming up. So if you want more info on that. Um, Stuff that you can't do in another DAW is all I can say. All right, um, cool, cool. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> 
but but yeah, the Tom plugin is is phenomenal. It's it's um it's a Tom gate that um, spectrally analyzes spill and then spectrally analyzes your Tom hits and will you know open up when it hears a Tom. And it works kind of for snare if you've got too much hi hat coming in, but it's for toms. It's 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 set and forget almost. Now you, if you're like me, you just cut out all the uh, all the silence on the toms. Uh, but you know you might want to to do the sort of Ken Scott thing where you just um, you have a sort of a hysteresis setting. Mm-hmm. So you just drop down the level and you still have the bleed coming in and you know it's great for things like that yeah it's just so so accurate um it's well you know I, I can see i can see other plug-in manufacturers once they get onto this <laughs> i can see them trying to emulate it because well that's cool i like phenomenal. i like the way you described using the hysteresis because david thoner has been on the podcast and he talked yeah. about that being a great way to mix the toms and you know you're doing minimal drum miking and you bring yeah. up the tom mics so that the resonance actually is in a good place with the other mics and then yeah. you just you, you know he talked about actually riding up the faders for the tom fills and back down yeah. to that point but you could use the the tom filter and mix bus oh, to actually let <clears> it open itself up you know potentially yeah <clears throat> i mean i'm a i'm a massive fan of automation yeah and I, you know when i'm when i mix analog or when I used to mix off tape, uh, which I still do very occasionally, uh, I'm I'm everywhere, and I don't really have a a set plan. I'll have positions where I'm going to move things to, but I just kind of jump onto the desk and and you become one with it, as it were. You know, um, I'll have to do some analog analog mix videos at some point, but yeah, I mean it's it's random access, it, not not random, but in the sense of, of, of random, random choices, but random access in that you can grab anything at any point. Oh yeah. And I think mix, mix bus is the closest to that I found on the computer. Well, it's very cool. Um, That's very cool. Yeah. Um, Rockstars, I'm going to go ahead and and do the spoiler here too. I'm going to put a link in at rsrockstars.com slash mix bus. And I'm going to throw, I'm going to collect Russell's best videos for you there that I've seen on on Mixbus, and also I may have uh, may be able to include some special deals in there too. I'll I'll let that be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I have a a signature bundle out with Harrison. Um, oh, cool. Well, let's we'll stick which, that in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you get forty percent off if you're interested. You can go to mixbundles.com which will be in the show notes i guess um i guess you'll put that in the show notes and it's just a bit of bit of random talking about uh, <laughs> why i like i like working that way but i think you know whether you use mixbus or not the approach that comes from the end of the analog era is a good thing in a way the consideration before creating a new track the the nice gentle EQs, thinking about where you place your mics very, very carefully before you do so (laughs) or before you press record, knowing that you can't necessarily butcher with, um, with a, 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 or you don't want to necessarily butcher with, with your, um, very tight, um, surgical EQ. Yeah. Well, so, um, let's see, let's keep jumping forward here for a moment. I like to ask our guests. Uh, to share an inspirational quote at the beginning of the podcast. We're sort of deep in it already, but have you got anything you'd like to kind of share with us to get us excited about hitting the well, studio? 
Uh, oh, well, do you know what? Um, I, I was thinking, yeah, I did some work for, for Sony a while back. Um, actually, Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, this story comes from. And some of your fans may remember um, Little Big Planet. Um, I, a friend of mine was the producer on Little Big Planet, and we we got talking about. He used to run studios in the eighties, and uh, we were talking about sort of motivational uh, quotes and stuff. And um, the thing that they do at Sony, uh, he was telling me, is try to distill everything into three words. So when you go to a Sony store, next time you you go to a Sony store, just have a look, and you should see three words for each you know each kind of section of the of the of the store or three words yeah. for the yeah. So so I it was a while back i started thinking well how can i distill my ethos or my, the experience of working with me into a three-word quote and how can i convey what how i think people should behave in the studio in a three-word quote so i chose i chose an adjective which probably probably not allowed but no no it's all allowed <laughs> <laughs> seriously fun music <laughs> and i think you know that's that's kind of my byline as it were because if you approach your work with all seriousness and say yeah this is you know we're going to do this but it, you've got to enjoy yourself because it shows through it comes through on the record and and you know i'm very much about putting an emotion into the record whether whether it's a positive emotion you know you can have cathartic you know mellow songs but when you're in the studio working on them you still enjoy them so yeah. Seriously fun music. Make yep. sure you're recording seriously fun music tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's great, man. I really appreciate that <laughs> quote and, and that perspective. It's definitely true to how I like to work in here. So my studio is called the Toy Box Studio. Well, exactly. Exactly. We're never going to grow up, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but at the same time, boy, can I be a pain in everybody's butt, you know, yeah. as far as yeah. being serious about really getting the very best we can when we're trying to create something in Absolutely. here. Absolutely. But it's all it's all worth it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, totally worth it. Totally <laughs> worth it. I this you know, for me, I, every time I finish a session and you know, I could be exhausted from it, but inevitably afterwards, I always have this buzzing sense of gratitude for being able to make great music and have fun all day with friends yeah. and call that my yeah. work, you know. We we'd better not tell anyone that this is actually not a real job because <laughs> you know <laughs> they might cotton on to this and uh, and stop us doing this every day. Um, well, but even if you don't do it every day, you know it's it's just you've got to have fun when you do it because there's there's no point otherwise, is there? No, and in fact, in case you ever forget whether it's a real job or not, payday will come around and remind you of uh, maybe it's not quite the same real job as your you know your no, your, your cousin the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you know a lot of the a lot of the folks I know from from the industry, big producers and small, not physically big, you know, successful producers and, and, you know, mid-level producers from ranging from the top guys in the world. They all have someone who is very patient in their life, whether it be a partner or you know, yeah. children or whatever. And, and I think, you know, it's, it, it is one of those things that you need the support. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, you know well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a very patient daughter who's, you know, she puts up with my kooky recording schedule. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. Well, so um, let's see. Uh, now, how about sharing an important story of a, of a failure for you? Some, oh, something yeah. where it didn't really all work out so well. Well, all my records have been fantastic uh, since the day I started. Okay, um, I won't tell you about the drunk guy at nine o'clock in the morning or the fight in in uh, in the control room when I couldn't see the live room from the control room. Uh, I won't tell you about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I'll then I won't you, I won't tell you about the time that the drummer threw my the drums and all my microphones across the uh, the studio oh, too. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> um, there's. Yeah. So failures, right. Uh, well, lessons learned. We all know that physical hard drives, rotating disk hard drives are very temperamental. So um, I was doing a session. Fortunately, it wasn't such a high profile session, but I had, I did have about two tracks on, on a specific hard drive and two or three tracks from that day. And um, I think I was, yeah, I was at Par Street in Liverpool um in the what was studio three uh, which used to be chris martin's bedroom when he was writing uh nice. <laughs> writing the, the gold play stuff um he, he kind of took that over and um and stayed up there and it's a nice little it's a nice little studio um studio two sadly has been converted into well sadly an actual bedroom been converted well no it's it's uh, oh i mean it's a beautiful place um it's been converted into a live music venue so the live the live room is so big you can have a stage at one end uh, and they've changed the, the control room into the mixing room. I'm doing air quotes here, by the way, just in case <laughs> in case you can't see. Yeah, so they have the mixing room, which is the sort of cocktails and beers and what have you. But yeah, I was up in the small small studio, fortunately, so it wasn't such a, such a hit when I um, took my hard drive and got on the train which is unusual for me uh, we have an underground system between uh, central liverpool and and where i live so i got on the train and there were some very inebriated young ladies who were off on a hen do um sorry a hen do yeah hen party uh, that kind of thing and um yeah they they clattered into the side of me um <laughs> hit my bag which had very well wrapped uh, the hard drive in it. Now, I wasn't too worried because, of course, I usually uh, leave a copy on the studio computer and then phone through and say, yes, you can delete that the next day when mm -hmm. I put it double backed up. Uh, I usually take two drives. Um, that day, I hadn't taken two drives. And for some reason, um, the, <laughs> the studio uh, version had been deleted. Oh, so I, I lost a session. Now, yeah. what was more worrying was I actually, I'd lost, I, I, at that point, I think I was running two studios. So I had my studio in the spark plugs factory, um, which was in an old engine test bay, uh, which was fairly big, but you know, not as big as, as, as the past street. And, um, yeah, I, I lost the hard drive. Um, and that was a very stressful, I mean, I've had hard drives go down before and I've swapped out the boards on them and rescued them and so on. But uh, yeah, I, w I, w I won't make that mistake ever again. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, because it, it ended up costing me, well, a fair bit of money to, to rent the studio again. And, and I took the hit for it, for, uh, for the artist. And unfortunately they were really, they were really sort of forgiving, but I, I did get given a really great tip um, once by um, 
someone in in the computer industry who said when you buy a hard drive get a a, a piece of sticky label or a tape and write on it when you purchased it hmm. because then you can keep an eye on you know I, i'll bet you've got hard drives knocking around that are five or six years old that you you know you should have realized they're cracking on a little bit and are likely to uh, you know at some point all hard drives will go um, so it's just a case of keeping ahead with your backup schedule um, to uh, to try and uh, <laughs> mitigate yeah. any damage when they do go, because they all will go eventually. They'll all die. I um, think that's absolutely true. And I think I've heard some people suggest that because hard drives keep getting bigger and bigger too, yeah. you actually might not need to keep everything on the old hard drives or not even worry about what to do with them. You just simply copy that over and, oh, and yeah. collect everything on bigger and bigger drives and just have all these duplicates yeah. kind of going back. Yeah, because Moore's law is, is you know, we're, we're doubling uh, computing power and, and there's, I can't remember what the storage space law is, but yeah. it's very similar, isn't it? You know, every 18 months we're, we're doubling our, our capacity for the same I, cost. So I think in backup yeah. um, speak, it's every time you go to buy a new set of backup drives, you for the same price, you're getting one that's about twice as big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you can use RAID arrays, then do. Um, if you can um, keep a copy in another location, then do it. And, you know, I had the pleasure of uh, of seeing CLA uh, talk a little while back, um, having dinner with him, actually, which is quite interesting. But, um, you know, he, he was said something really valuable. Uh, when a client gives him a drive, he takes it, he copies the, the data off it, or his assistant copies the data off it, um, and he gives it back immediately. <laughs> and, nice. and that's the that's the protocol. Get that drive, get that client drive out the way as soon as possible, yeah. so it's not your responsibility. Exactly. Because you don't know if they got backups or not, and you know, just oh. no. <laughs> I try to always that. do that too. I make sure the clients leave with their drives if they can. Yeah. And um, you know, as soon as they bring in a drive, the first thing I do is put a sticky tape on it, not with the date of the drive, but with the name of the client. And I put a name yeah. on their cable and a name on their power and make sure that everything's yeah. labeled so it goes out. Well, so uh, that's a great story. And I think we've, let's just say many of us have been there with uh, learning about <laughs> the hard way about backup. And rock yeah. stars, if you haven't learned it, then, you know, God bless you. You're in a good place. You haven't lost a bunch of stuff yet, but take this stuff to to heart because it's good advice. Um, so let's go forward. Let's leap forward to here to our topic of the day. Um, Russell, oh, yes. we've got a great title for the podcast, which is uh, Loudness and the Lost Art of Mixing. And so I thought you, I'd let you just kind of jump into that topic and tell us what that's about. What is, what's, the, what's that title mean? Okay, let's, let's start with this question. When you listen to the radio, to records from the 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s, and, and noughties, do they sound any different to records from the last year? Do they sound quieter mm. on the radio? I think I'm going to say no. In fact, I'm going to remember exactly. when I used to flip around between stations and in the 90s, the first sort of modern music stations were coming out and they sounded a little too bright for me. And then I'd go back and I'd listen to like Steve Miller playing on the classic rock station and it sounded so good and so much better. Exactly. Uh, and when was the last time you put an older record on and a say, say from your CD collection? I don't know. Do you listen to CDs? I, I'm still a CD, I, Not CD as guy. much. I actually, my car is the last bastion of CD playing in my world. 
And it sadly is giving, it's, it's not spitting out CDs very recently. But when I do get one to spin up in there, yeah, I'm always struck by A, how good it sounds after getting used to listening oh, yeah. to MP3s. And B, how much I wish I had carefully selected the CD to stick in there before it got stuck. <laughs> so, um, so you've got uh, easy, easy listening country hits on over and over again, have you? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> At least it's not kids' music anymore. Celine, is it Celine Dion? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Well, my, my point being that if a CD is a different volume, a different loudness, you're just going to change it. You don't even know you're doing it. There's been countless studies that this whole loud... I'm not going to go into what the loudness war is because all your guys are probably well aware of this. But basically, louder CDs are a cheat or louder tracks, um, louder. Yeah. Uh, tracks that are recorded at a greater volume in the file, uh, that's achieved by hypercompression and distortion. So it's my thought, <laughs> it's my thought that... A lot of the guys these days are mixing into multiband compressors, mixing into clippers, mixing, you know, really smashing stuff at the mix stage. Yeah. And it absolutely destroys, <laughs> destroys the sound, but it makes mixing seem easier. Right. And once you, once you take away that element, uh, and, you know, I, I have to say I've had problems with pleasing clients, but it's worth it because... You know, when, when a client's presented with something loud and it's all smashed, and it, it sounds glued. It really does. It sounds glued. But then what happens later down the line is it gives someone a headache. And mm-hmm. once you become aware of what this loudness war nonsense was, which is, is exactly what it was, it's nonsense. Because as we've just discussed, older, older recordings, which were not subject to this loudness treatment, uh, are playback just as loud and sound punchier on the radio, on Spotify, on YouTube. They all sound the same volume. So essentially what you're doing is you're just removing the transients. And those transients can be really cool. I mean, listen to records like, I'm going to show my uh, musical tastes now, but um, Def Leppard Hysteria, for instance. Nice, nice. (laughs) You know, uh, that I think that has a DR of like 12 or something. It's ridiculous compared to the reissue, which was about seven. And, mm-hmm. you know, certain pop artists are, are, are knocking around around three, you know, and it's very much like, why would you want to cut off all the good bits of your of your music? But it also it forces you into a specific way of writing. It forces, you know, stuff that sounds good when it's been smashed is more basic. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose detail, you lose, you, you, you increase the amount of distortion, but you also lose the amount of detail. And you know, I, th- I see a lot of younger guys or, or even, you know, people my own age who have, who maybe come up on the sort of the digital world and, and, uh, you know, into that competitive, aggressive kind of mentality in terms of their music, making their music sound, yeah, it's, you know, if, if you don't get a suntan off the red lights on the master fader, then you're not mixing properly. Well, <laughs> it was, let's, was a genuine quote. Let's talk <laughs> you know? about harmonic content too. Um, just thinking about, let's draw the analogy between mixing and, and mixing loudness to a guitar signal coming from a pickup and how you like to set the amp. And let's also draw the analogy to some old school rock and roll and some new school rock and roll. Yeah. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that, you know, with a guitar, 
let's go back to the kinks or something. You're more likely to hear a major third in the chords. You're more likely to hear uh, oh, yeah. the full voicing of a chord and that that's still representing rock and roll than you are now where things have to, you know, probably become a power chord. Uh, and I wonder if that translates, you know, let me, let me clarify. Well, so in other words, if you try and play too many notes into a distorted guitar amp, they start to crowd out and there's no room absolutely. for it. You got to do like the root and the fifth and let some yeah. of the harmonics speak through there. I wonder if that applies to a mix too, in general. Well, I, I think it absolutely does. And you, you hear, I mean, if you, I don't know whether it was a big thing in the States, but Daniel Bedingfield um, was, was one of the sort of early bedroom producers in the, maybe the early 2000s. You know, he, he was one of the guys who was putting out it wasn't even that loud, to be honest, comparatively, his his kind of debut record. Um, but I remember listening to that thinking, oh, right, he's done this in a way which is going to sound punchy because there's nothing in it mm -hmm. <laughs> apart from, you know, the beat and the vocal. Uh, and when I say the beat, I don't mean like a, like a sort of rap-produced beat. I mean, like literally just electronic drums and and the vocal. Now, it worked at the time, but that that kind of mentality has been carried on and it really is a case of exactly as you say you know if you are hyper compressing everything to the same volume all of your harmonic content all of your uh, ghost notes everything like that is going to push up it's going to hit the max level and everything's going to be the same the same volume so it really kills the art of mixing and it kills the intent for people to mix and i think what's happened is that there's maybe a whole generation of people who kind of can't hear that that depth necessarily uh, or have trained themselves not to hear the depth. Mm -hmm. So when I listen to a record, I have this I have this kind of matrix moment and you know exactly what it's like as a non-musician, people sometimes just hear the sound, they hear the sound of the band and they say oh that's a that's a you know the sound of music or whatever. But as musicians and engineers and producers, we drive into that and we can stop in any, any moment in that music and we can almost see the bass drum and we, can, we know that that's the bass and there's, a, there's a, a guitar playing alongside and we know that there's you know, uh, maybe a Stratocaster on the left and with a bit of spring revert. We, we can diversify within the music and hear all that detail and tear it apart. I think with super loud music, everything becomes so mushed that that detail is lost. And perhaps people who listen to that music consistently have not necessarily experienced how wonderful detail, you know, you can get even from tape, you know, we yeah. talk about, you know, let's say hysteria again, the clarity is astounding. And, you know, that was probably done on two inch 24 track or a couple of two inch 24 track machines. I can't remember. There is a, there is a rather good classic albums episode about right. it, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you get my gist, you know, we have more headroom than ever. We've got lower noise floors and what do we do with it? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, so it makes me think also about the times where I've tried to sit down and learn a song or learn the parts in it, or, or even just chart out a song and I'm listening for the bass lines. And when yeah. everything gets loud and everything is all blended together, it gets really difficult to actually pick out the parts and, and tell yeah. what you're hearing. And so many times I've actually mislearned a part because I hear it wrong, the way it's all blended together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we want some kind of glue and, and balanced, you know, it's nice to compress 
your master boss. It's nice to cut, but you know, do it in a way which isn't 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 random and isn't just you know aggressive and oh yeah, I've got to get it as loud as possible. I mean, we've all seen the Breaking Bad video, haven't we? Of of uh, of the uh, <laughs> horrendous <laughs> horrendous mix. Well, you know, I, I was probably fairly guilty of that in the early 2000s i i you know i used the old the odd l2 and uh but but i think at that point i was just having sort of i i was actually aiming for an amount of gain reduction because i didn't know any better so i'd go for like 3db gain reduction but really you know we have tools like i don't know if you've had ian shepherd on oh yeah the show have you yeah so ian ian's um got some amazing products out with uh, meter plugs and you know, I use I use uh, Dynameter mm-hmm. on my master bus all the time, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep an eye on on you know because we know where things are going to be loudness normalized, um, so we can we can say yes, I want to take it to this kind of dynamic range, and then it's going for mastering, whether I'm mastering it or someone else is mastering it, and and we can optimize it so we can maintain that punch and we can maintain that clarity without cluttering everything together. I had a, a client a little while ago who wanted a, a track. Um, I think I think he'd done some some tracks with someone else and wanted me to sort out. I do a lot of these jobs <laughs> where people come in and go, "The album sounds rubbish, fix it." Um, so he, he'd come in and I think he was doing a bit more recording, but he really liked this this track that he'd recorded, and it had been smashed. I think it had been smashed through a half inch machine, and it was just horrible it was it was absolutely revolting sounding but it should have been good it, it was done in a pro studio and i heard the the multi-tracks and the multi-tracks were fine it was slightly out of time but the multi-tracks were were, were decent enough sounding mm-hmm. now i did a mix i think i did a mix yeah i did a mix of it and mastered it up and what have you and he, said, he kept saying oh i prefer the other one i prefer the other one so i, uh, I took a couple of snippets one from the original and one from the, the version I'd done, and loudness matched them as they would be on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or in a car mm. with your own manual change. And uh, I just sent him the files and said, what do you think of this? The answer was a resounding, oh, I'll go with the second one. Why does the first one sound so bad? <laughs> well, that's, that's what you had, but you were just being kidded by it. You were being tricked because it was so loud that you know, it, it was perceived as better and, you know, you were, you were playing it back on a CD and playing it back or, you know, playing it back without um, sound check or yeah. <laughs> turned on onto iTunes. And it, it, you know, once you start doing that, I would encourage your, your listeners to, um, to get some of the, the, the pop tracks that they may like or hate <laughs> and, and, and level match them to some of their tracks that they're doing. And just to see, you know, what the difference in clarity is once you, once you actually do a level match. Level matching, you can do with any loudness meter. I would recommend Ian Shepard's because he's such a great guy. Yeah, you mean using <laughs> perception? Great, yeah. yeah, either perception or, um, yes, perception or dynameter you could use, but perception would be the one to use. Yeah. Or, or even if you're a mixed bus user, there's actually a loudness analysis uh, tool built into that. But yeah, definitely um, just just don't, don't be kidded, which, which kind of... You know, it's it's one of those things. I always teach people to use calibrated monitoring levels and watch their dynamics because there's so much detail that we can put in a record that recently has been lost. I mean, what's your experiences over? Because uh, you know, you're obviously around other studios and so on. Uh, is there a loudness issue? Oh, in uh, Nashville, in, Tennessee, in the culture. Yeah. Are you kidding? 
<laughs> Tennessee, you, you, country, you, there's there's not much that gets louder than country music, you know. <laughs> Ironically, well, it didn't used to be that way, but now it's like this. Everything just has to be so in your face. Um, but with with the cleaner guitars, do you think that you know it's not so death metal kind of super sure, heavy sure. game? Sure, it's a little. Do you think the cleaner guitars are more more affording to that because they can punch a little bit? A I little think bit so, and better. I think people scoop a lot of mids out too, you know, mm. along the way. But I, yeah. I actually don't mix that way all the time. Um, mm. I, one thing that is inherent in a lot of country pop mixes, though, is that the vocal needs to be incredibly loud, and the next loudest thing needs to be the snare drum. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, vocal is king, as they always say. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, I, I've got, not got anything against music that sounds loud and is perceived as loud yeah um, well let's talk about but, that let's let's leave people with a little bit of advice on how to go about getting their mix appropriately loud and maybe you can talk about the ways that mix bus would help somebody do that okay yeah so um, for those of you who don't know mix bus is is a digital audio workstation like any other uh, except it sounds different and it does sound different it has um, a fixed set of um, mix buses, which you can use for your groups um, or however you want to use them. Uh, and they each have a saturation control. It's it's a, like a tape saturation. So the idea is to emulate the, uh, the, the concept of going to tape and mixing back from tape. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's a saturation control that you can crank. Now, there are no artifacts in terms of noise floor being raised. Uh, and the saturation is... <laughs> It's almost very difficult to hear, but you can feel the effects of it. And so those mix buses, depending on which version of mix bus, you might have eight or you might have 16, or I think that's, maybe it's 12. They go onto the, the master bus and that also has a saturation. And every channel has its own built-in dynamics. So you've got a variety of compressors and limiters that you can pick from, all from the mix window. You don't have to go into any plugins. So I think, the, the general vibe is that you're shaving off some of the transients before you get to your master bus. And I think that's how you get those kind of consistent punchy sounds on an actual console. Yeah. Because, you, I mean, <clears throat> CLA talks about bending the console. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he famously talks about this and... Really, what he means, uh, I can I can I can uh, clarify this because I, I, I specifically asked him, is uh, introducing harmonic distortion on the input stage. Not just that, but that's the main the main vibe of it. You you drive into the into the input stage, and you essentially can remove some of the transients, so you create this more consistent sound, which is what we would have done with a console in, you know, with maybe transformers into a tape machine back into the console. So you're, you're effectively removing the transients at each stage. Whereas if you're working in a, a super clean DAW, uh, which Mixbus can be if you want it to be, it can be as clean as anything else. But if you're working in just a standard sort of industry standard, <laughs> that one, clean DAW, your transient clipping is not necessarily going to happen unless you kind of make it happen with plugins and what i was talking about before your master bus is much more spiky and more uh inconsistent i find mm -hmm. than 
than you get if you're working in either with a hybrid setup or, or you're only working in mixed plus. And that's why I like it because it's the mixes happen really quickly. And then if you do want to work in the box to bounce them out, you've got loudness analysis. So what do we aim for? Well, <laughs> it depends what platform you're going to, but generally we're looking at somewhere between minus 12 to minus 14. Mm-hmm. Somewhere yeah. around, somewhere around that mark, um, and Mixbus has that that um, loudness meter built in, so you can kind of oh, yeah. keep track of how you're doing. Yeah, yeah. We there's a K meter, uh, and I tend to work at K20. The K meter on the master channel is actually set to K14 as standard. I think I've done a video about this. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I'll, yeah. I'll I'll put the link. I'll give you. Yeah, the link. yeah, okay, great. Um, so so how to calibrate your system? So you know, there's a lot of home mixers who mix too quietly, essentially, or they have their amplifiers turned down too quiet. And there's a really easy and simple, almost free, if you've got a mobile phone, free way of setting up your monitoring to a kind of pro studio level. And when you do that, you ensure that you've got plenty of headroom for your uh, for your transients. Now, if you mix with your your monitors at too low a level, you'll try and bring the level up to the same kind of comfortable level where it feels like it's moving you. It feels like it's kicking usually around uh, somewhere between 86 and 96 dB people tend to aim for. Mm-hmm. dB. SPL, right? Uh, C weighted, <laughs> somewhere around. Sound there, level yeah. in the um, air from the speakers to your yeah. ear. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, no matter who you are in what room, you always want it to be about the same volume. That's sort of scientifically proven, as it were. Well, stu- AES studies, anyway. Um, now, if you have your monitors too quietly uh, set too quiet, you will push and you'll try and compress stuff and you'll distort stuff so it gets the average level gets louder. Whereas if you have them set to the correct calibrated level, I would suggest uh, using the K20 system, then you won't need to go into that distortion and all your, tra- your, your nice transients, which we've sort of massaged with Mixbus or, or with our console or with, you know, if you're a, a, a user of a different DAW, you might drop in some some clipping uh, plugins. But those those massaged transients, which we've kind of brought into control, will nicely sit and will feel punchy. You'll feel it in your body. You'll, you know, it will move you. Yeah. And it will also, it'll also pop out the speakers at quieter volumes, in my opinion. So, you know, and it certainly won't give you the headache that a hyper-compressed mix will give you. Well, I, li- um, I like it when the drums sort of punch out of the speakers somewhere. You can yeah. I like punchy drums. Yeah. Exactly, because in in a real environment, the drums are punchy, aren't they? That's that's exactly <laughs> what they are. You know, they they they're also pretty freaking loud. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and you know, it's it's about taking for a lot of my work is about taking that that sound from the from the artist and putting it into two speakers that may be as small as earbuds. Yeah. And that's the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's squeezing five musicians into two pieces. Yeah, of really, really, really. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Um, well, I appreciate you kind of breaking down some of the things that are cool about Mixbus for us and, you know, introducing yeah. us again to this this concept of loudness and why it can be a problematic. And, and I love that you've put together this 
tutorial video about K20 and showing us how to arrive yeah. at this sweet spot. Um, and we'll take a break now. We'll come back in for the jam session. But before we go, Rockstars, I want to remind you that you'll find links to all the stuff we're talking about in the show notes. If you're on your iPhone or on your computer listening to this, you should just be able to click right through and see it right there. And then also, I'm going to just kind of do a goodie bag and put all this you know, the videos, links from, from Russell and um, see if we got any special deals on Mixbus. Uh, make sure that we include links to the uh, Mix Bundle. And I'll just make a link at rsrockstars.com slash Mixbus. So if you go to that, you'll be able to find all this stuff in one place. And we'll see you in just a moment for the jam session. Roswell Pro Audio brings you microphone design that is out of this world. Endorsed by a growing list of artists and producers like Phil Collin of Def Leppard, Ross Hogarth, who's recorded Van Halen, Ziggy Marley, and the Doobie Brothers, and Super Dupes, working with Drake, Mary J. Blige, and Eminem. These are all rock stars that have discovered just how great Roswell microphones sound. Check out the Mini K47, which uses a capsule modeled on the one in the vintage U47 at a street price of only $299. Or the beautiful Delphos condenser microphone with a capsule tuned like the vintage U67 with great clarity and far lower noise at a street price of only $899. In fact, you are hearing my voice right now on the beautiful Delphos microphone. These mics are carefully crafted by hand and immediately feel good even before you plug them in and hear how great they sound. These are well-built microphones that will last you and your studio a lifetime of great recording. Check out more audio examples of these awesome mics at roswellproaudio.com. Are you thinking about hiring professional mastering for your song or record? Chris Graham is a billboard chart-breaking mastering engineer who has mastered thousands of songs for both pro and home studio clients just like you. Send in your song and Chris will give you a free sample master of your mix. Book a project with Chris today and also get a free video mix consultation before mastering. This will help make sure your mixes are the best that they can be. So go to chrisgrammastering.com today and get your free sample started and your record finally finished. Just click the link included in the show notes. Hey, rock stars. We're back now. We're going to jump into the jam session. My guest today is Russell Cartier. And Russell, my man, are you ready to jam? I am totally ready to jam. Very cool, dude. Well, so when you started out in recording, what was holding you back? Um, oh, goodness. You know, I, th I think it was quality musicians uh, because you can't make something that is out of time and out of tune and a bad song will never sound good mixed. It's really hard it just, to do, it just isn't won't. It? So, you know what? If, if you're learning, get the best people, go and find the best people and work with them. <laughs> I think I'm repeatedly reminded of that myself. Um, sometimes I do records where, you know, I'm, I'm picking and choosing musicians and the times... It helps to do a few of them, but the times where I don't pick a great musician and I find myself working twice as hard versus the times yeah. where I pick a great musician and I get to the end, I'm like, why was that? Why does it sound so yeah. great? And that was so easy to do, you know? Do you know, do you know what? I have a core of, of session guys I, I use. So I'm working on this um, all vinyl label at the minute, which I'm doing sort of the first few records and possibly some more, depending on how they <laughs> how they sell. and. Yeah, we've got some various singer songwriter types, but I've got my core of selected 
session musicians. And I know what the record, well, with most records, I can go into a rehearsal room and and I can hear the record before we've made it. I know Mm -hmm. exactly what it's going to sound like. I I don't know whether that's a normal thing or, or, uh, but, but, you know, you can, you can imagine yourself, you can imagine yourself listening to that record and, and how the, drums are going to sound and it might not turn out like that but who's who's to know what i was imagining in the first place but yeah with with having consistent session guys that i work with when i'm doing the kind of singer songwriter stuff where they haven't got a band or you know there's there's a pop act on this label as well kind of mm, art pop and you know we're using my guys instead of his normal backing band of session guys because we know the what the consistency is going to be like. And, and I know that I don't have to spend hours editing drums yeah. because, well, well s- the drummer is an engineer. Sometimes, so, you, know, you, you know, when you have an artist um, and they're asking you about budget and musicians and, well, how much are they going yeah. to cost? The best answer is, you know, that you, you <laughs> suggest somebody who is more expensive to hire and a better talent. And, you know, the, the real question is, well, would you like to spend more money or less money on your record? <laughs> and if they Do say, you know I don't want to spend more money, then you say, then hire these guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it will sound better and it will have a chance of making making a return. But this is exactly, as a producer... This is exactly what I do, really. Um, people come to me with budgets and or they'll come to me with an idea and I'll say, well, okay, what's the budget? And Well, how much do you cost? Mostly the sort of unsigned acts that I work with yeah. ask how much you cost. It's like, well, what's your budget? Yes, and let's, see what what I, we can af- well, let's see what we can afford to do because I'm my, yeah. my rate pretty much stays the same. Yeah. And to be honest, most of my records sound of equal quality no matter how we do them because of the way I plan them. So, yeah, I mean, it's working with great people. As you say, it will save you money. Working with a producer will save you money. Working with a decent mix engineer will, you know, trying to mix it. There's so so many records I get come in from like home recorded or, mm-hmm. band, you know, band room recorded stuff. And they'll send the stuff to me for either mastering, stem mastering or, or more often mixing. And it's a really enjoyable thing, but a lot of it is, is you know, this isn't ready. Right. <laughs> Go and do it again. Right. Or... You know, or you just put in a lot of time trying to mix it and get it to sound better. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. If it's not in time, you can't mix it. Yeah, (laughs) it just it will always. Now there are instances where that might seem to not be the case, but when you have a a loose band like you know the Stooges or the Pixies or whatever, when you have a band that you want to sound wild and you know crazy uh the sensational was it sensational alex harvey band i don't know if you remember them from the 70s they were wild but everything was everything was in time and in tune except the one instrument that they wanted to be the focus that usually the vocal or the guitar solo or something it was all spot on with all those bands except that one thing. And and that's when you can afford to make artistic choices about whether you're pulling tempos or pushing tempos and so on. But yeah, use use quality, use quality musicians because yeah. otherwise you'll be banging your head against the brick wall trying to mix stuff that is just no good. Well, good advice, good advice. Now, how about sharing with us some of the best advice that you received? I had a curry with Ken Scott um, and... Um, <laughs> 
that wasn't a name drop particularly. If you want to see the the video, it's on recordproduction.com. Um, not of the curry, but uh, nice. of, of the interview. No, I, I'm sort of more impressed with the name dropping of just saying I had a curry. That's not something I yeah, would say I here, a, you know, but I like it. Oh, yeah, well. Oh, we we've been in Abbey Road and nipped down to the the favourite curry house of the engineers around the corner. So I was chatting to Ken and I said, "Listen, I've got this real problem. I'm mixing this metal record at the minute, and and the band want to sound like Avenged Sevenfold, and they they don't sound like Avenged Sevenfold. They sound like an '80s hair metal band, which was brilliant, you know, kind of vibe, but but not, you know, they would never sound as they wanted to sound, and they the records they liked didn't sound." particularly fitting for, for what they were doing. I said, well, you know, what, what about reference material? How do you use reference material? And he said, you know what, just mix it how it sounds good to you and don't worry about it. And I think that was one of the most valuable pieces of information that I've, I've been given because I don't chase the sound of other, other mixers. I mean, yeah, I've done that in my younger days trying to get the CLA sound, trying to get, you know, the kind of uh, polished togetherness of, of a Howie Weinberg record or something, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff in, in all stages of the production and working out, you know, this different miking techniques. But ultimately, once you get to a certain stage, just do it how you feel right and send it to a good mastering engineer if you, if you can't do that yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that a lot of times, you know, the artist and the band, they come to you with what they've already, what they already consider to be the sound mm. they're trying to make. You know, they might Absolutely. use language about inspiration. They might talk about other records that inspire them. But meanwhile, they're making the music that they make. And when your instinct just tries to simply respect what you're, what's coming out of the speakers and just help usher it to the best place that it's already wanting to go. I think a lot of times the, the artists will hear that back and they're like, oh, this is great. You know, you got it. Yeah. And so, yeah. and there are times where I have tried to like take it to some different place. Like that should automatically be a badass idea. And it turns out to just simply mm. be a bad idea. Yeah. And they, they don't always want that. Uh, what a lot of artists want. So, so with the remix thing, you know, I, I got sent something the week before last, um, and it was, it was a pro mixed record, but the the artist wanted me to remix it. So I went about remixing it, and unfortunately, some of the um, some of the tracks were actually lost on the way, so I didn't get them. And that was the only thing that they could hear was, "Where's this keyboard line? Where's this right? Exactly. You know, where's this backing vocal?" Not that the whole thing sounded more coherent and and more what they were after, but they they were so locked in on that. And I think even even when you do remixes, they're not going to sound massively different unless you. Even when you do a lot of editing, you know things you might edit the drums together so they sound a bit more punchy um, and they're a bit more consistent on the beat and and with the bass guitar or whatever. But ultimately, what has been recorded is is the the framework right. for unless you're doing some kind of crazy dance remix and you're re-recording things. Yeah. No, then, it is you know, what it is. Exactly, exactly. Make a record and move on. <laughs> well, so now how about sharing with the rock stars a recording tip hack or secret sauce, something they could use on their session today? Okay. Um, yeah, right. Um, drum recording is is my, my kind of keystone, really, for, for making records. Just so happens I love um, drums. 
<laughs> we all. Um, so I'm a recorderman guy, really, but I have a few little, you know, I, I do the Glyn Johns thing occasionally, um, but even when I'm Tom miking, um, I like to do a recorderman. Uh, kind of yeah, t tell us about this. Uh, hip us from the ground zero. Like we don't know anything about what you're talking about. Okay, drums are sort of usually cylindrical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, recorder man is uh, essentially a way of recording drums with two microphones. It's very much like the Glyn Johns method, where you have. Uh, so with recorder man or my variant of recorder man, I have the uh, uh usually a ribbon mic if i can if i've got a, uh, a 4038 a coles 4038 or i like i love fathead mics uh so the cascade 2 is one of the most underrated microphones nice ever fantastic mic if you don't own a pair you should go and own a pair because <laughs> they're great and they're cheap as well um i, I have them up against coles 4038s all the time and yeah love the love the fat heads so so what i usually do is i have a mic directly above the snare drum and i have one positioned now imagine we've got a right-handed drummer so um, and they're playing you know in the kind of usual crossed position behind their right ear i'll have the other mic and they'll both be pointing at the snare drum now these two mics we want them to be receiving the sound from the kick and the snare at the very same time. So the way we do that is take, I, I have a piece of, um, in my, in my production bag, I've got lots of things. I've got a, mm. a, a, a tune bot, um, the drum tuner, um, electronic drum tuner, which is amazing. Nice. Um, but I also have a long piece of, a long piece of cord. And if I've uh, been stupid enough to forget that, I can use a, a mic uh, cable. So I get the drummer to sit in their position and I ask them to pinch the microphone cable under the drum beater for the kick drum. Keep it there. And then I move it up and I take the other end of, or another part of the mic cable and I ask them to pinch it in the center of the snare with their finger and don't let go. And then I move across and find a point above the snare where where I want to put my my uh, microphone. Mm -hmm. So I've got that overhead above the snare, maybe a, you know, a, a foot or so above their head, whatever, somewhere around there so it's not in the way of them. And then I pinch the mic cable. So I now have a, a consistent measuring distance from the kick drum to my pinched point on the cable or, or the, the cord. And I also have the other half of it, which is pinched and held onto the middle of the snare drum. So now I can move that pinched area without letting go of my pinch position. I can move that cable around or the, the cord around to find a point to put my other microphone, um, the one that sits roughly behind the right ear. So what happens when you record like that is you get this kind of, it's like a pseudo stereo effect when you spread them and you can spread them wide. You can spread them really wide yeah. if you want. But you always have, your kick hitting at exactly the same time and your snare hitting at exactly the same time into both microphones. So you get phase coherence and you don't have to move your samples around. Yeah. Um, and it just sounds brilliant. It sounds so 3D. So you can use those two points as, as either your whole drum sound or you can close mic as well. And I close mic as well, usually. 
but then here's my secret source. (laughs) (laughs) My secret source is I use a third microphone out in front of the kick drum. Nice. So I'll keep hold of, um, I'll measure the distance between the kick beater and the, the microphones. And I'll go from the inside of the kick drum. I'll put, well, I've got an assistant, Naomi, mm-hmm. who's wonderful, uh, who's sunning herself in Australia at the minute. But it's either either her or, or, or you know, if I have another assistant in or uh, one of the band or something, one, someone has to hold the cable or the, the cord in against the inside of the, beat, the batter head of the kick. And then I take the, the, you know, the distance that we've measured and I place usually a, a FET 47 or maybe a 67 uh, something like that out in front of the kick drum, dude. And I use that for the I use that for the bass, and it sounds phenomenal. That's so uh, you know, great. If yeah, I mean, you can't unless you've got a big studio, you can't do it with other artists in the room. So with the guitars in the room, whatever. But if you're in a if you're in a large space like Bar Street or whatever, um, then you know maybe 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 one of the bigger London studios, then you can you can do that, and you won't get much spill. Um, it, it will be consistent enough, and it sounds well you know i can't describe it but it sounds brilliant that's um, great so th- and everything's in phase there's a great backstory to this too so i have a, a course that i put together as a full day clinic here that is now a course in a webinar i'm about about to re-release maybe out as we do this um podcast episode called rock stars of drums and in it right. i also teach the recorder man technique which i only learned about by watching a couple of kids show it off in their living room on a YouTube video once upon a time. (laughs) And what's so funny is that I was experimenting with that. And I think they had shown with a close mic and a kick in and I didn't like it. And so then I came up with the idea, what happens if I just move the kick mic out so that it's hitting at the exact same time (laughs) in all three mics. And so, and I've always been calling it the Lidge man technique. So I'm going to have to rename it now. It's now going to have to be the the Lidge Russell man technique or the Russell Lidge man technique. I'll, I'll, good. You, you go first. That's fine with me. <laughs> but I think that's great. Well, I love hearing you describe thought, the whole thing like that. I thought I was, I thought I was ahead of the game there, but no, you are, you are. <laughs> it's just you and I are the best front, base. That's the, 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 well, that's it. The, 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 the low end is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and likewise, I actually also, um, occasionally do the odd live seminar, um, which is linked to recording studio masterclass. We've got a drum one coming up, um, at the end of September for, for, um, for any folks who are interested in that, uh, recording studio masterclass, but that's, that's an in-person one in, uh, in the north of England. So um, so uh, nice. anyone who's over and wants to to do some actual physical hands-on drum recording, you know, they should check that out. Uh, well, that's very be cool. A fun day. That's very a cool. Fun day at Orchard Studios. Um, oh. But yeah, that'll, that'll be on Recording Studio Masterclass, which is my kind of educational arm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for so sharing that tip. That's a great one, man. No I love worries. that one. I hope, I hope it came across... Uh, as being understandable. I it's, think so. Uh, I think so. It's much easier to see it visually. But. And if it if it needs a little extra, then um, there's two great places to go. Go go. Uh, yeah, go yeah, to your master class or, or come check well, out Rockstars of Drums and we both will go uh, show you uh, how to do it with uh, different names. <laughs> yeah. 
I, absolutely. <laughs> Very cool, man. I want to check out your videos now. Please. Well, well, Are you doing a live seminar? I, I want to come down and... Uh... I will be doing more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun brilliant. doing that. Um, so, all right. Well, so let's keep jumping forward here because okay. uh, we've got a couple more questions to go. How about sharing uh, a favorite or an exciting hardware tool, something physical that you like to have around on sessions? <clears throat> Um, yeah, mic stands are possibly the most important and most manipulative tools that you, you have in the studio. Yeah. Cause it takes a lot uh, of I, interns if you want people to just hold the mics manually. <laughs> it does. It does. And they get bored. Um, and then who's the way I have, I try to touch the computer as little as possible during recording sessions. So Naomi is usually operating the uh, DAW of whatever studio we're in. When, when she's in on sessions. So, um, yeah, mic stands, you, you can have all the EQs in the world uh, and all the compressors and all these fancy tools, but actually mic position is way more important than any of that. Totally. Um, you know, and so uh, I know it sounds like a really cheesy kind of, oh, yeah, we're going to choose my ears. It's like, what's the best tool in the studio? My ears. You know, I, it always gets a bit annoying when people say that kind of thing. It's a bit sort of smarmy <laughs> and arrogant, isn't it? But but we've all said it. <laughs> but yeah, my position is, you know, I see people reaching for EQ. And, and yes, I track EQ into to, to, to tape or whatever um, on the way in occasionally but i'll always try moving the mic before that i suppose if i was going to give a more serious answer lighting as well mm. you know getting getting them in the mood i know it's again it's not a um but there's there's something about having a console with lights on it and dimming the main studio lights yeah and just you know they're glistening and it's you're like you're in a spaceship and you know oh, oh, we're doing this now we're making this record and it's it's going to be there forever um that kind of feel and it really engages the artists i think so so yeah mike stands and lighting if i can have two i like it well you know you're describing seriously <laughs> fun music right it's got to be seriously exactly. fun when you're doing it or why exactly. why bother exactly exactly like we could we could get more reliable uh, professions couldn't we right right <laughs> less stressful ones right, if, if we're not doing it for the fun well so, yeah. so let's jump from hardware tools to software anything uh, software wise that you're excited about i'm well yeah as i said i'm working on some scripts for mixbus and uh, mixbus 4 has this um obviously you know my whole world <laughs> professional world seems to revolve around mixbus these days um just because it's changed my engagement with 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 mixing and with my job you know it make every day i look forward to turning on the the mac and yeah it's multi-platform, by the way. Yeah. Um, but but what's really cool is that Mixbus 4 now has Lua script um, compatibility. So you can do your own scripts. And, you know, <laughs> well, you, one of the guys, one of the guys at Harrison, Nick, is an amazing bloke. He's helping out on these, these soon-to-be-released plugins and scripts. So I'm doing like a bundle he was very kind in helping me set up and he did most of the work on this let's be honest um helping me set up a single click button so what i do is i import all my uh, multi-tracks into mixbus and i go to the top right hand corner and i click my little button 
and it reorders all the tracks into the correct order, sets all the routing up, renames everything that I need oh. renaming, creates it creates my sample because I, I often have to, you know, with, with tracks that are coming in, I often do it as sample augmentation. So it creates all my sample tracks, my instrument track. Oh, um, crap, dude. That's you. I'm getting kind of excited. One click. One click. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just like one click. Just walk into it's the studio. It's work. the ultimate, uh, you know, evolution of the studio. <clears throat> Just walk in all out. Oh, yeah. All reg- in regalia. And you go and you click one button <laughs> and then you say, thank you very well, much. And you walk out and you're done for the I day. Need, I, I need an assistant to actually click that button, don't I? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you'll you'll be, when when you see what we're working on, which, um, so so I think very much, because being a producer or a mixer, you create workflows and the first 10 years you spend are creating those workflows really, you know, honing them and seeing what works and what doesn't. And then you get to a stage where you know you're going to start with this, you're going to do this. You, it might differ slightly and there are obviously choices, but really you need to do those workflows and work out exactly how you do them. So I, I usually have a kick and a snare sample that I may or may not use you know, like a room sample for the snare, all all these kind of processes. And the fact that we can get a computer to do them for us, which we should have been doing for a long, long time, let's be honest, because, you know, that's what computers are for, right. doing those kinds of repetitive tasks. The fact that we can do that with, with just a click is mind-boggling, but, you know, that's where we should be. And it, it, it frees me up rather than spending two hours messing around with with plug-in sets, setups and renaming buses and ordering tracks and stuff. Oh, it's yeah. not perfect every time. But then the client then gets, you know, those two hours essentially of me actually working on the mix. And that's what I really like because my workflow is, you know, I don't feel like I'm wasting my life yeah. <laughs> messing around with with plugins and stuff so um what? so yeah that's it's got to be lewis scripting is the is the amazing thing that that, that mixbus has implemented lewis scripting cool man well yeah. so now um let's jump forward to a little bit of advice for the business side let's say somebody doesn't just want to do this for a hobby and they'd like to make a living yeah. doing it do you have any advice or resource <laughs> you want to share choose another <laughs> no no um on, on serious note um so business i think the advice is be a part of a scene to begin with. Now, I I kind of have almost because I do a lot of more international work and 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 you know remote work. I've kind of drifted away from a local scene, which I was very much part of in my younger days. But yeah, be part of a scene and just go out and meet people. So I have this thing on a Friday, if if it's not too hectic, I just meet people and I go out for coffee with them and no reason just to hang with people who are in the industry who I might not have met before or I might have met on the internet you know met through Facebook and you think well I haven't met them and they live 45 minutes away let's go out for coffee and just touch base and if something happens in a year if if there's a project that happens in two years or maybe they have some work for you that day or you have some work for them you know these kind of these kind of relationships can be easy to forget especially in the facebook era and especially when a lot of us are working from you know a home environment so i'm not at the studio every day i'm kind of in my studio and it's just me most of the time me and and the cats in the main house you know um so 
So you, um, and the scintillating company, I should tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the idea of just going out and meeting people and that's how you can, you know, that's, that's your best business tool because yeah. advertising, you just get nutters when you advertise uh, <laughs> generally. <laughs> you know, I, my, my old studio was in the Yellow Pages and no. This I, is goofy. <laughs> the joke here in Nashville is, you know, you get a call from some yokel out in the country. He's like, hey, man, uh, how much to record a song? And then, you know, you say, oh, it's, you know, yeah. $100 an hour or something like that yeah. for the studio. And then they go, well. Well, song's only three and a half minutes, so uh, what's that like? Ten dollars? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. A friend of mine used to run a, a studio, um, and in, in an old uh, railway station in the eighties, and um, they uh, he, he had a very very similar scenario where band loading, and they'd booked a half an hour, um, and he said, uh, "I thought you were coming to do a tape transfer," which is you know, what you would book a half an hour for, an hour for, or whatever. They said, no, 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 um, that was it, it was an hour. And they said, no, no, we just want to record 10 songs. They're only three minutes each. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we thought we'd just hang around for the other half hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. Well, so, yeah. um, you know, you also talked about having a conversation that might extend over a year or two years with somebody. And that's yeah. something that I had to learn along the way when I after you've been doing this for a while, you look, you can look retroactively back and you can see, oh, you know, I met this person here and that led to this. Yeah. And then a year later or two years later, that person finally came around and booked a session with me. Um, and I mm. sort of called it planting seeds, you know, that you, because sadly it's the only gardening I get to do. I had to sort of give up actual <laughs> physical gardening, but, uh, but, you know, like meeting somebody, treating every moment as a, as an important possibility and just being aware that, you know, it might take two years before that turns into a recording session. But once you get going with this stuff and you're doing it for a while, then all of a sudden, mm. you know, you planted many seeds two years ago that are showing up now, uh, you know. So, sometimes, you know, it benefits you to have them work with other people because sometimes you need to work with that person later in your career or you need to have them develop first or they need to have a bad experience or they need to track somewhere else and you need to do the remix maybe that was what not what was meant to happen because i'm not sort of a massive believer in fate but you know sometimes it's worth not stressing that you don't get the job that you want and also meeting with people is kind of a nice experience because you know you you get to assess whether you want them as a client right. as well as Indeed. whether you're just trying to, you know, that was the worst, one of the worst mistakes I made in my younger days when I kind of, I'd gone off on my own and I was just like, oh, anyone, anyone. And then, you know, you book all these people into the studio and half of them are really bad <laughs> and, and, and half of them don't pay. So, yeah, you know, that's not good. now I focus on work that I really want to do and, yeah, I mean, fortunate enough to be in a position where I'm established enough to do that. But, but it, you know, you you see a different arc trajectory to your career. Definitely, if you if you focus on th the best people, the people you want to work with, make great records. Yeah, rather than demos. Yeah, you know. yeah, good ex good advice. And my mentor Brad Jones used to say all the time back when I first started working with him that he didn't do demos. He's like, no, I just, I don't do demos. Yeah. I just do records. And I was, I was you, like, wow, he's got, he's got a pair on it, him, but you know, it's true. And it worked. And he's always just exactly, done stuff that was intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned that lesson 
I think when I when I was saying I went freelance, I, I thought, no, I'm not doing demos anymore because they just soul destroying. And, you know, if they don't want to, if they want to do a, if they call it a demo when they approach you and you say, no, I only do records, let's make a record. That's great. And if the, the, the artists are full on into it, then that's cool. But if, uh, but you know, if, if it's definitely a demo session, then get the assistant to do it. Yeah. Send them to the right place to make a demo. Funny. To get yeah. ready for making yeah. a record with you. Yeah. Um, so I have, I, mean, I, I have one last follow-up too. So this is, yeah, this go, is a go. tool tip for you rock stars, um, which I probably mentioned on the show before. But in order to follow up with people, it's very helpful to have a way to follow up with people. So one of the things that I use is a plugin for Gmail called Boomerang. And what it does is it allows you to send an email and then put in a little Boomerang reminder to yourself and you could have it come back to you in a week, a month, six months, a year. You can set a specific date, but it could be a good way to sort of remind yourself to pick up on a conversation and check back in with somebody down the road. Absolutely. And uh, if, you, if you're fortunate enough to have a management team who kind of works, sort of represents you or whatever, which I can't, I have relationships with management, um, which is nice because they do a lot of the sort of chatting and what have you. But if you don't get either, either something like that, or, you know, I think there is, is there a Google client relationship management software as well? It's that, when you say you it, know, it sounds like, good. Like there should be, but I don't know it myself. The, the, there's loads of, if you, if you really want to go for, the whole hog on on running your business, you know, with with like uh, a system that that will, yeah, you know, call people and what have you. You can get these CRM things. I think there's one for the iPhone actually. If you're an iPhone user, um, I don't do that because I'm just massively confused and uh, right. en engrossed in my work all the time. Unfortunately enough, things seem to uh, sort of <laughs> bumble along business wise in the background. But um, I think if you know. Don't be afraid to, um, that's the other thing as well. Don't be afraid to bill people and don't be afraid to ask for what you're worth. Yeah. Um, is, you know, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely the, one of the big mistakes for, like you say, if people want to make a living out of it, you, you can't do the whole half minimum wage thing. <laughs> right, right. You don't want to do a race a, to the bottom. Because the bottom exactly. is there and it's waiting for you. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's, well, yeah, that's it. And that's exactly why I say, you know, pick the best people because they are the people who've got the opportunity to to actually get funding, you know, Kickstarter and stuff. And get, get good at, at describing how to, how to do Kickstarter. You know, the reason why I started my blog, my YouTube channel and blog, was because I was saying the same thing to young clients, young bands and so on, over and over and over and over again. How This is what it's going to be like in the studio. This is how you make a record. This is what I want you to do. So the intent was to, um, to have a set of videos for the new clients who they could just sit and watch and I didn't have to repeat myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it turned into something... Much more frightening, <laughs> full-on audio block. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's a good reason to start one. Um, and I, yeah, well, yeah, I've done similar things to help train my interns in the studio. You know, videos and show idea. them how to do the same stuff I was showing over and over again. <laughs> well, so in the um, interest of time, why don't we move forward yeah. to the last couple of questions here? And oh, these yeah. are both hypothetical. The first one is. If you had to start over again and you needed a simple setup to record, you needed to find people to record music with, and you needed to make ends meet while you're doing it, what advice would you have for somebody? Okay, so, ooh, a simple setup. Okay. <laughs> really, what, I'd, what I want to say is, oh, I'd go analog. I would get my 
I've got a, a, like a um, MG Akai MG twelve fourteen, which is a, a, a half inch analog machine. It's like a really glamorous Porter Studio, nice. but huge. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, it's half inch cassettes. They're a bit like a sort of a Betamax cassette. Oh yeah, I know um, those ones. You pop, you lift yeah. up the little plastic window and pop it in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, the the white, the white thing with the kind of the red leatherette. Yeah, um, I think you um, two did a record on one of those. I, I, so I'm so I'm told. I you know part of me thinks yeah I'd go for that, but then you need all the kind of plug in well stuff you need your yeah, yeah all, all your all your compressors and ah, you, you could live without it but really to be competitive you've got to have a, a digital system mm-hmm. um i've used a lot of antelope stuff and i think i would go for i think i'd go for an antelope or a, maybe a, a uad yeah. kind of interface antelope bang for your buck and just experience of using them with their fpga stuff i think and the, the headphone mixes and so on. A nice little laptop, whether it be Linux, whether it be Windows or, or Mac. I love that you just threw um, Linux in there. I don't. Th- <laughs> well, I still yeah. think I've never even seen a Linux operating system oh, before. Oh right. Well, well, my I'm a Mac guy for the studio, and then my kind of home computers, my my laptops and stuff. Well, well, my my partner and I are both are both Linux users at home, so. Uh, and um, is, yeah, isn't it like a little penguin proof. or something like that? <laughs> it is. It is a little penguin. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, no, no. We use Ubuntu, so that, they've kind of dropped the penguin logo, but um, it's essentially Linux. But yeah, I mean, Mixbus is cool because it runs exactly the same on all three platforms. So you know, you know where you are if you need to change. Um, nice. But yeah, it would have to be one of them. Um, a few decent mics. You know, if, if you're on a budget, I would recommend like Aston. Um, they do some good stuff. Uh, Cascade, I, I can't recommend Cascade highly enough. Even their cheap M20U, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the the kind of sounds a bit like a FET um, 47-ish vibe. It looks a bit like that. There's something else, some other kind of inspiration going in there. But just like a decent a decent condenser mic. Hey, I'm gonna throw in a shout out for the. Roswell Pro Audio Mini K47 oh, too, which is another these. great one for not not I, much I at all. I need to try one. I need to I need to get my hands on and review one, but I, I haven't seen one over this side of the water yet. But yeah, you know, there's some really great, good quality mics that you can do some great recordings with, and and ultimately, you know, it's about the song. <laughs> it's maybe an SM7B. Um, mm. That would be a good choice, or if you can't afford that. Uh, 57 and cut out the uh cut out the transformer um yeah works. right i had a friend of mine record we were down in 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 birmingham way uh, in the midlands uh, in, in england recording some metal and this chap's um uh mike exeter who uh, he worked on the the last um black sabbath record mm-hmm. he's done ub40 and all, all sorts of things uh, he does a lot of metal um and we had a um oh goodness what was it some really, you know, a nice 47 copy, like a really expensive, nice U47 copy up against his Transformer chopped out 57. And he was flicking between them. And could I tell a difference? <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. It was, it was f- for that kind of vibe. It was great. So, you know, That's picking the right mics for your, for your genre is pretty important. So yeah, just a, a few cheap mics. You know, mid-price mics. Give me an antelope. Give me a, a a little laptop, and 
mm, some headphones, or maybe some monitors, even some like just M audio or yeah, right, um, yeah, Yamaha HS, whatever they are. Well, um, well, what so about um, people to record and ends meet? Making okay. ends meet. Uh, mate. Making ends meet. Um, go and work in the live world because you'll meet so many cool people and it's brilliant fun. Yeah. And most of them, if you're a member of, certainly in the UK, you need a sort of a £2 million insurance policy. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we would usually get that by joining Beck2, which is the live engineers and lighting engineers and sort of TV broadcast. Uh, I say, I think they've now amalgamated. I've, I've moved on uh, myself because I don't really do live stuff anymore. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of work out there. It might be boring. You might be sitting in front of a conference hall or you might be out working with, you know... <laughs> I don't know, folk bands. Yeah, but at least um, you're making money doing bands. music, you know. Yeah, well, well, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've done all, all musical genres, and uh, yeah, just yeah. yeah, it's 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 a great way to go out and meet people, and you know, the, things things get given away after tours. It's amazing how much like gear you can accumulate if that's what you're into, um, and just meeting people and meeting good musicians who are actually working musicians. That's the thing, you know, if you're working, doing tours, then, and it's, you know, it's decent enough money. It's easy to get into. Um, yeah. You've just got to be prepared to lift stuff and push stuff. Well, that, um, so, that's cool. so that's how I'd make ends meet while you get the recording thing going. Well, it sounds like that's but, how you'd meet people too. You know, you'd just be out at yeah, the live well, shows. Yeah, yeah. You mean, yeah, meet meet people like that and meet the support bands, the local support bands. And, and you know, don't be afraid to drive halfway across the country to do a recording session in someone's back room right. or basement. I or did many yeah, of those. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's... I, when I was starting sure, out, I used sure to, uh, I would drive five hours from Nashville to St. Louis for a recording session <laughs> all weekend with no sleep during the weekend yeah. up for the grand total of 50 bucks. And I had to pay for my own gas and food while I was there too. Uh, but you know, you learn that way, don't you? And, and oh yeah, I loved it. It's a good way. But but yeah, I mean, there's no jobs in studios anymore, really. You have to be really on it to 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 do it. But you know, one thing I would recommend is if you're gonna do if you're gonna do sort of work experience kind of work placement stuff, and you're willing to sort one out, um, and you, it might actually be better to to invest the money you would have spent in recording school and go and work in a studio, but do it in the best studio that will take you. Yeah, Because, you know, you want to be around people who know how to make records because otherwise you'll be fumbling around, confused, not really knowing what a real record or a real recording session sounds like yeah. and, and why why whatever you're and, hearing and may, not, I would, may not sound right. I would suggest this too, Rockstars. If you find yourself having a conversation that I can already imagine in my head where you go to a studio and you say you'd like to, and when you talk about a work experience, I think you're, the term over here would be an internship, right? Same idea. Yeah, yeah. You'd say, kind of you'd, you'd go and you'd talk to the studio and they're going to be inclined to say, well, what experience do you have? And you say, oh, I don't have it yet. Uh, you know, have you been to school? Well, no, no. Well, you know, we need people who are you really need to know what you're doing before you intern here. Mm. I think the rebuttal or the response, you don't need to be giving them a rebuttal. Sorry, you're trying to get an internship. <laughs> but the response <laughs> is, <laughs> is to transparently say what, what Russell just said, which is, look, I can go spend a lot of money and go into a lot of debt, going to school somewhere to be able to come and then hopefully intern with you in the studio. Or I could come right now and give me anything that's that's uh, low skill level 
to start so that I can begin learning. But because I'm not spending all the money on school, I, I can assure you that I'm going to be here every day and I'm going to be committed and yeah. I will be here like, you know, really learning so that when you're teaching me and training me, I'll come out of this as a really useful asset to your studio. And with relationships at that age or at that stage in your career, make sure they're either really good or non-existent right. <laughs> because you, you're not going to be popular at home no. if you're spending all your time in the studio. And that's just something that, you know, everyone goes through at that stage. I think, um, yep. I used to, I used to live in the studio and we used to do, um, we used to do live events of an evening as well. And I was making virtually nothing yeah. when I first started out, but yeah, so I'd be up, I'd walk three miles maybe to work in for nine o'clock, maybe half eight and then work right through, go home, eat something, be back out, do live shows four nights a week, finish about 4am, back home, back in the studio at nine, seven <laughs> days a week. You know, it was one of those. Um, but I'll tell you what, I learned more in that first mm, first month than I did in my entire degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I learned yeah, a ton more just... being in the studio. Well, so let's jump to the last question here, Russell, and yeah. then we'll, we'll sign off. This one's oh. also hypothetical, but this is going to take the Wayback Studio Machine, and, and you're going to go back and find a young Russell, um, oh. uh, maybe before you spent seven days a week in the studio, <laughs> and give yourself one bit of advice. You're going to say, um, here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the studio yourself one day. What would you tell yourself? Hmm. It has to be work with the best possible people you can. Um, you know, if if you're going to work in a studio, work in the right one. If you're going to work with artists, work in with, with the right ones. If you're going to give your time away for free, go to the capital city or, well, I mean, it's a bit different in the States, isn't it? Because you've got Nashville, which is the sort of music yeah. center or... Um, but you know, go to a music, go to somewhere where it's all happening. Um, I mean, I was kind of really lucky cause I, I see come from around this area anyway, but you know, so music is so prevalent in Liverpool, but, but you know, if you, if you can go to London, if you can go to LA, if you can go to New York, if you can go to Nashville or, or Paris or, or, you know, uh, Berlin, wherever, wherever it is that the really cool stuff is happening and just get in there and ask. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all. the worst that can happen is someone can say no, get out to gigs, talk to every single band who aren't bad. <laughs> Just even the bad ones, but yeah, well, you've just got to get your name out there, I, be part of the scene. I like that advice of just working with the best people you can because that makes me remember that I think, in a lot of ways, I did that, you know, not always, yeah. not always, but I did make some choices that I can feel really good about because I just I picked people that I wanted to be around and, and people that I wanted to be my mentors and people I wanted to work with, and you know, I left other things on the table. But by picking the people I wanted to, you know, the best people, I think it's offered yeah. all kinds of great experiences. It's it's like when you're in a band that isn't going anywhere, and you think, oh, what if that? What if they break next next week, and I've left? Right. You've just got to, You've just got to go with your gut, haven't you? You've got to go. This isn't working for me. It's not going to happen with me in this situation. I need to work with those people. Yeah. Or you know, this band much as I might like them, they're just really bad. 
and they're never going to get good. I need to not work with them. I need to work with these guys who are really driven. And just being around pro musicians or music students, you under, you start to understand what real quality musicianship is. You know, listen, if, if you haven't got anything on your, uh, on your phone to listen to, uh, when you're on a bus journey, whack on a metronome. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, because, you know, once you've got that in your head, then you can start to appreciate how good, really good drummers are and how good, really good bass players are, yeah. uh, you know, and that's what makes great records. The really kind of tight pro quality players. Yeah. So yeah, work with the best people and work under the best people you can find people who will teach you stuff. You know, another takeaway from telling when you've got really great musicians is you can also find yourself working really hard on something in the studio. And it's only once it's done and a week later and you listen to that mix just off your iPhone without being in any studio mode at all, that all of a sudden you notice where things weren't as good as you thought they were, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say where you noticed it was really great. Well, hopefully yeah. you do. But I mean, like the things yeah. that come back and you're like, oh, that just sounds sloppy there. That that falls apart right yeah. there. And, and you know, I, I got a text earlier off my... Uh, my brother, and he was asking me about Mutt Lang, <laughs> of all things. He'd think he'd seen a documentary um, saying, oh, well, you know, was he, is he really that obsessive over every part of the music that, yes, we all are. That's, that's what producing is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you've got to be, you've got to be able to know when to make the choices to make stuff sloppy. <laughs> and, and that's the skill that you get after about 15 years in the, <laughs> in the seat in front of the desk you know exactly but, but you know i hope i hope that kind of gives gives your guys uh your your, your listeners a bit of inspiration oh, you it, can do it you know it gives them more than a bit we're at two hours and six minutes of interview right now we're doing great so um russell let's sign off and let the rock stars know yeah. how they can find you how they can follow you and learn more about you Oh, right. Well, I've got a blog. Um, it's uh, russellcottier.com forward slash blog. Uh, or you can just go to russellcottier.com and click the link. Um, sign up for that. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, which is uh, <laughs> youtube.com forward, forward slash russcottier. You can go to recordingstudiomasterclass.co.uk, which is my um, remote learning and seminars. Uh, if you like the idea of having a DAW that feels like a mixing console, check out my signature Mixbus bundle at mixbundles.com uh, or go to the Harrison Mixbus website. I'm sure there's plenty more. Oh yeah, I uh, I present for recordproduction.com, which is an amazing resource um, where nice. we interview all sorts of top record producers um, and I get to have curries with them, <laughs> which is cool. Um do you guys get to eat? I, You're eating curry and interviewing on uh, camera yeah. at the same time? Oh, no, no. Unfortunately, not, no, not in front of the desk. Like, um, <laughs> but, well, yeah. no, it's really, let me tell you about the... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also, if you're a subscriber to Resolution Magazine, you can see my articles. So that's a, it's a UK-based, but we ship international, glossy recording magazine. Um, it, it's hard to explain. It's a bit like Mix, I think, uh, if that makes cool. sense. Cool. Um, we do interviews, we do reviews, we do honest reviews. <laughs> well, I'll include links to all those uh, in the show notes yeah. as well, since I might be, that's a, there's a lot of things to hold on to in my head right now. But 
rocks. Do you know where people find me though? They just find me on Facebook because it's an unusual name. So right, right. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> um, Russell, R U S S E L L C O T T I A R. So you probably like two S's, two L's, two T's. Is that what you tell people? That's correct. <laughs> that is exactly what I tell people. <laughs> right on, man. Well, Russell, thank you for joining us on Recording Studio oh, Rockstars. Well, thank you for having me. Been a pleasure. Um, look forward to meeting you in person and around the studio, maybe yeah. over the other side of the pond there, Liverpool. Absolutely. Or 40, 40 minutes outside of Liverpool, either way. Uh, I'm, I'm only 20. Okay, 20, good deal. <laughs> Not even that. Well, thanks, mate. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for having me, rock stars. Cheers, man. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Wicked. Catch you later. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RS Rockstars to 33444. Again, that's RS Rockstars to 33444. And I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Music.